Not because they deserved it, not because they were perfect, not because they were honorable, but because God says, honor them. It doesn't say that you should obey them if they tell you to disobey God's word or if they tell you to do something sinful, but it always tells you to honor them. And some people don't, they want God to do things in their lives, but they won't honor their parents or they won't honor people that are in authority over them. And so they actually hinder what God wants to do in their lives because they won't do what God asks them to do. And so that idea of honoring people or even giving them a standing ovation without them behaving properly is kind of a foreign concept in our world. I mean, we'll applaud people if they do well, but we withdraw from people who don't. And in the kingdom, we're actually supposed to draw near to people who don't do well and help bring about restoration or reconciliation in their lives. And so last week we talked about watching our mouths or watching our heart and uh, had a great turnout in Sunday school this morning to kind of introduce that series over the next four weeks. Uh, We'll be watching a video series by Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, sharing uh, how to watch our hearts, watch our mouths and make sure that we're not actually sabotaging uh, what we want God to do. Here's a funny thing. Uh, You can actually pray for God to do something, but then sabotage your own prayer by your mouth. I mean, if you're praying for repentance in our nation, but then verbally attacking and criticizing the leaders of our nation, uh, and if you aren't guilty of this now because you're a President Trump fan, but you were guilty of this when President Obama was in office, uh, then, you know, don't let the hypocrisy blind you, okay? You have to learn to honor and respect all leaders and pray for them and bless them, okay? It doesn't mean you ignore wrong decisions they make. It just means you learn to come at them from a a point where you're not an uh, accuser, but you're an advocate of them. And too many in the body of Christ actually pray for one thing, and I think we actually then just short-circuit our prayers right after we walk out the door because of our mouths. And so we really should pay attention to that. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, I think we'll, we'll find that freedom. Um, today is the sermon called Forgive from the Heart. Forgive from the Heart. And I've actually got uh, a co- few copies of a book called 21 Ways to Forgive Plus Nine Reasons We Must Forgive. And for those of you today, um, a, a lot of what I'm going to share comes from that, which actually comes from the Bible. He just helps explain it in a really practical way. Um, And so some of what I'm going to share comes from that book. And so if you struggle in this area of forgiveness and maybe want that to be a resource, there are some available on the table in the back and you can pick those up. But before I do that, we're going to talk a little bit about identity again. And uh, I joked with someone last night that I they think I preached two sermons last week. I won't name any names, Mark Apple, but uh, we, um, and whether I do or don't, I don't know, but here's what I know. Identity is something God dropped in my heart, uh, uh, having us learn who we are in Christ, and I believe that affects everything else in our lives. And so, We can't have good relationships with other human beings if we don't know who we are in Christ. And uh, this sweatshirt that I'm wearing 
actually was a way that the Lord illustrated in my brain how that worked, and I went over it last week, and I'm not going to do it again, but uh, I honestly felt like there was a design in my head better than this. I, this was the best I could find, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted, and so in your mailbox, you see that order form of what is in my head, that what I want, and that's available to you. If you want one, we'll provide, we can you know, order you one as well. I want to place this order because this is something I believe that helps me and is something I'm going to wear so that I can talk about identity more often because I feel like it's something God dropped in my heart. I mean, at least God didn't tell me like he did, uh, was it Isaiah or Jeremiah that had to walk around naked for all those months? And so at least all he's asking me to do, or at least what I feel like, is to wear this. And, and instead of wearing a pink, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And everyone said amen. And, um, and so instead of wearing this pinky one, uh, I'm trying to get one that I would rather wear. And so if you want to be a part of that, that's what's there. And so um, that was good. Galatians 6.14 is the verse that's actually on the back because as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to come to the understanding that who we are in Christ. And I know that some of us think, well, this is salvation and salvation is pretty elementary and, and I don't understand why we keep talking about it. But there is much more, Paul says, we would like to say, or Priscilla, whoever you think wrote Hebrews, um, about this. <laughs> but it is difficult to explain because you're spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen. You've been believers a long time now, and you ought to be teaching others, but instead you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. And so I don't want to assume that we understand salvation or identity. How do we know if we understand our identity in Christ? Well, it shows up in how we react. It shows up in how we treat people. It shows up in different ways in our lives, how we respond to questions or how we respond to fears or how we respond to other people's mistreatment of us. Because if we understand who we are in Christ, our responses will come from that place, not from a place where we're trying to protect something that we have. When I understand who I am in Christ, I understand that nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing. And I can be free even if people mistreat me to respond out of a different place. Jesus perfectly showed us what it is to understand identity, who we are. If you remember when Jesus was baptized, he was baptized by John in the river. Jesus said, I have to do this. We have to do what's right. He did no public ministry before his baptism. He did no teaching before his baptism. And so other than maybe that time when he was 12 and, you know, with the, the people in the temple. But when he came up out of the water, the voice from heaven said, this is my son, and with him I am well pleased. That is for us also. When you come into Christ, when you put on salvation, when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become pleasing to God because of what Christ has done. And then Jesus goes into the desert and he is tempted. And what is the first thing that the enemy says to him? If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to be bread. What's the last thing he heard from the Father? You are my son, and with you I am well pleased. Prove it. I don't have to, because I know who I am. 
And some of us walk around trying to prove we're children of God instead of fully grasping it so that it can, what we do flows out of our identity, not trying to create it. And I know it might seem like we're just playing semantics or just trying to play with words, but we are not. When we choose to put on Christ, we've admitted that I fall short of God's standard. I recognize I'm a sinner. There is nothing I can do. I have no hope of changing that. But I believe that Christ was my sacrifice. He was my substitute. And I confess with my mouth that he is Lord. And I put him on. And he is my salvation from start to finish. That means the whole time I live out this salvation and follow him, all my father sees is Christ, what he did for me. And that frees me up so that I don't have to live in guilt and condemnation and performance type of mentality. And I can allow his life to flow out of me in that way. And so my standing with Christ never changes. But before I put on the hoodie, Jesus says this, A large crowd was following him, and he turned around and said, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Don't begin until you count the cost. Okay, it's great that I get to exchange my life, but we have started saying things like, invite Jesus into your heart, because you have this God-shaped hole in your heart, and Jesus fills it, so invite him into your heart, which is great, but it's not truth, because you're not inviting Jesus anywhere. He's at the right hand of the Father, always interceding on our behalf, or just, you know, reminding the Father, hey, it's my blood I did for them. And what you're doing is recognizing his sacrifice. You're believing he did it for you. You're confessing that he's Lord, which means if I'm going to follow you, I got to follow you. It's kind of hard to follow Jesus without following what Jesus said. And that's what we're committing ourselves to. So he says, make sure that if you put me on, you actually want to put me on. Because I have a way of living that you're going to have to now follow. It's not going to be where you get your identity, how perfectly you can do it, but you are going to follow me. You're not going to make excuses for your behavior. You're going to own your behavior. You're going to repent of your sin. Because the Bible says, if we are in Christ, we won't continue to sin. And I know some of us wrestle with that, and the enemy uses that as like a guilt verse. Well, I must not be in Christ because I still sin. It's not that you still sin. It's what you do in response to your sin. It's whether or not you make excuses or rationalize or whether you repent of it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so it's what we do when we fall. And some of us, when we fall, we want to pay God back. We, you know, we want to make promises or we want to prove, God, I promise I won't do this again. Stop it. You can't make that promise. And yet, I know it sounds crazy that, we, you know, that we're going to maybe mistreat God's grace, but we're not. Don't treat it lightly. Don't receive it in vain, absolutely. But don't try to find your identity in your performance or your behavior. So I count the cost, and I want to follow God, and I do that. And then he sends his spirit to live inside me and to literally write upon my hearts 
the things that I need to do and to remind me and to help me and to encourage me. And, you know, it's not that we just need to learn this for ourselves. We need to learn this for other people. Because some of us are going to be able to grasp this for ourselves and find freedom, but then we have a tendency to judge everyone else by what they're doing and not who they are in Him. And if we don't understand this identity issue for us and for the other people in the body of Christ, we're going to have a hard time putting love on or keeping it on. And that's why I think identity is so important to us. And I don't know how many times I'm going to wear this. And I don't know how many times I'm going to talk about it. But I get the sense it's going to be a while. So I hope you like it. <laughs> or at least I hope. Oh, i got to tell you one more thing. This was really good because you said this. And I, I love this. And this is in my notes. We are, okay, we're, we're a body. Okay, everyone sees our body. we got a body, hands, feet. Okay, you are a body, but you have a spirit, and you are also a soul, okay? Spirit lives forever inside of us. I believe our soul lives forever also, but what our soul is, how that's different, our soul is our thoughts, our thinking, our characteristics, our personality, our emotions, our will. That's our soul. You can't see the soul. Well, you can in how we behave, but you can't see it per se. And so the moment you put on Christ, Ephesians 2 says, you were dead because of your transgressions and sins, but because of his love, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. Your spirit instantly becomes alive. You may feel something, you may not feel something, it doesn't matter, it's what happens. If you believe that Jesus was your substitute, you confess that he's Lord, you're going to follow him and you put him on, you are made alive in Christ instantly. Now, your physical body, on the other hand, is going to die. Nothing you can do about it, and it's okay, because one day we're going to be given new bodies, immortal bodies, that will live forever and ever. And so whether we die or not, we all get new bodies, and our spirit and soul will live in those bodies. Now, in between our spirit and our soul, or our body, is our soul. Our soul does not get saved instantly. This is why we still wrestle. This is why I still try to follow the Spirit in me. This is why I pray in the Spirit and build up my spirit so that it affects my soul and my body. My flesh doesn't affect my soul. Because either your flesh or your spirit is going to affect your soul. And whichever one you feed is going to win that battle. And so we pray in the Spirit, we speak words of life to ourselves. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God, trust Him. And now we think instantly our emotions will behave and do, but they don't always. And sometimes it's a real struggle, and we're really going to talk about this in the area of forgiveness as we go through the rest of the day. But Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. But I thought he already made us a new person. He did, our spirit, but my soul is not a new person yet. But I'm letting God, by his spirit, change me into a new person by changing how I think. Does that make sense? So we work it out. And I think this is important because in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells us a story about forgiveness. And that story, if we're not sure of who we are in Christ, is going to be hard for us, some of us, to live out. And so Matthew chapter 18 
Verse 21, Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Okay, now you gotta understand, Peter is like pretty impressed with himself for saying this. So he's like, uh, God, what, what, uh, how many times would I have to forgive someone? Like seven? Okay, seven times someone does the exact same thing to me and you, know, I, you give them a little bit of a break, but it's seven, it's like, you know, okay, you don't care and you're not gonna change. And uh, then all bets are off. And Peter's pretty proud of himself, but Jesus' response, if you look at this, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Okay, good. So 490 times, okay? That, I, I understand you're saying, okay, I got to give people a little more grace. Got it, good. But at 490, I'm cutting them off, okay? But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we know that love keeps no record of wrongs. And so how am I supposed to add them up if I can't keep a record? I'm really, I don't know what to do, Jesus. In fact, Luke tells this same story, and in response to this, the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. How many of you today, in response to the word, are saying, Lord, increase my faith? Yeah. Okay, so therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars in this translation. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, listen, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. We understand, we love this man's sincerity, but what you have to understand is this debt isn't really just millions of dollars. The word here for talents is here in many of your translations, 10,000 talents. Literally in the Greek, it means myriads of talents, meaning an unsurmountable debt, literally into the billions of dollars. So if we sold everything you owned and we even sold you as a slave and every dollar you ever made for the rest of your life, you, couldn't, you wouldn't even come close to this debt. And so what the guy is saying is, be patient with me and I will pay it. Well, that's just idiocy because there's no way he could pay it. But some of us treat God that way. God, I'll just, I'll, I'll, prove, I'll prove to you. I'll prove my love to you. I'll, I'll earn it. And some of us have no idea that we have a debt that we could never, absolutely never pay. But yet we still make words like this. So his master was filled with pity. Are you glad that he was filled with pity for us? And he asked, he released him and forgave his debt. Now, I don't know how many of you have debt, student loans, car loans, house loan, credit card debt, but if someone just came today and said, you know, all your debts are forgiven, I don't know how you'd feel, but that really doesn't even compare to this. I mean, the insurmountable debt wiped away, just, yeah, that's, that's great. So, the man left the king, and he went out to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Now, the word here is mina, uh, or not mina, uh, denari. Um, and so what we're talking about is a day's wage. He owed him about 100 days wages. And if you do the math, it's about $10,000, a little less 
than $10,000. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded payment. How many of you believe $10,000 is a lot of money? Okay, if you don't, again, I know I've said this before in this church, and so you would think you would all learn and raise your hand. Please write me a check today for $10,000, because if it's not a lot of money to you, I'll just accept it from you. And so, but it is, and that's the point of this story is it's a big deal. So we're not talking about maybe someone that cut you off in traffic, okay? We're not talking about someone who maybe, um, just, you know, gossiped about you a little bit. We're talking about a pretty big offense, Okay, someone has done something pretty egregious, and he grabs him by the throat and demands payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened, and the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you the tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now, there were things called torturer's prisons where you were, <clears throat> debtor's prisons, where you would actually be tortured so that your family would work harder to get the money. Okay, that's the whole point of being tortured in prison, not just for the sport of the person you owe a debt, but your family's knowing you're being tortured, they're gonna work that much harder to get you out of there and pay your debt. And so that's where he sends this guy, but we know it's an insurmountable debt, so he's in trouble. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. Now, some scholars tell us that what this means is not that you'll end up in hell because you refuse to forgive, but in other passages, Jesus does say that if we don't forgive others, we won't be forgiven by the Father. And so it's not that it's our works that save us, but it's an understanding of what we've been forgiven of. And so if I put this on, I recognize I have been forgiven a debt in the billions, insurmountable. And even people that owe me a $10,000 debt, I cannot hold it against them because I've decided to follow Jesus. But we kind of get hung up on that forgive from the heart thing, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but Matthew chapter 18 is all about relationships in the kingdom of heaven. So if you're in this room and you've decided to put on Christ, this is how we live in relationship with people on earth. We should become like little children. We should not cause other people to sin or put behaviors or rules in people's path that lead them into sin. We should rejoice over any lost person who comes into the kingdom more so than the 99. In other words, our, for all intents and purposes, the thing that should be on our mind 99% more of the time is not our fellowship with other believers, but the people who have yet to come into the relationship with the Father. So whenever we say, you know, we have to balance outreach to the lost with ministry to the body, you're right. 99% should be towards the lost and 1% toward the body. That's balance in the kingdom, okay? Because here's the thing. When you come into the kingdom, you're in. If they're not in the kingdom, they're not in. And so just trying to get everyone to be good moral people out there won't get them in the kingdom. 
talking to them about who Christ is and getting them to put him on is going to get them into the kingdom. So that should be our, uh, our desire, our goal. Then we're called to learn how to handle offenses in the body of Christ to be reconciled to one another. And this is very important. We're supposed to go to the person that's offended us one-on-one even before we go to our spouse. We're supposed to go to the person who's offended us. Then we're to bring someone else if we still can't get reconciliation. And even then, we're supposed to go to the church leaders to try to help find reconciliation. Now, we don't go to the person who's offended us for retribution. In other words, I don't go to you to make you feel bad that you did something to me. I go to you because I'm having a hard time walking in right relationship with you because of what's in my heart. You understand this? So it's not necessarily that you did something bad. It's that what you did affected my heart. And so I have to tell you, my heart is having a problem with this. It's not your bad behavior. We like to go to people and say, you know, I, uh, you hurt me when you did this. Well, no, I was hurt when you did this. I'm not saying your intention was to hurt me, but that's how it affected my heart. And I can't walk in relationship with you right now, and we need reconciliation. And that's not really how we treat it a lot in the body of Christ. And over the next several weeks, Keep Your Love On will show us how to do that and walk that out more and more. And the point of walking in reconciliation in the body of Christ comes right before this passage. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And if, you, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For whether two or three are gathered as my followers, I am there among them. Here's the thing. You and I can all come here and sit in this room and think we're here in Jesus' name. But if there's something that's keeping us from literally walking in good relationship with each other, whether it's in your heart or mine, we're fooling ourselves. And it's actually affecting the advance of the kingdom of God on earth. And that's why we have to deal with it. So let me give you a few things that we can do to deal with or to learn to forgive people from our hearts. You've got to understand that forgiving from the heart means that we make a choice, a decision, an act of the will to forgive someone, and we're doing it with all sincerity. It does not mean that my emotions will instantly change towards you, but it means that I am starting that process with a decision of my will. And I'm going to do it, and I'm going to take the steps needed to do that. And I'm going to lead my heart through the process of forgiveness. No matter how long it takes, that's what I'm going to do. Now, it does not mean that instantly trust will be reestablished in our relationship. And it does not mean that there will not be consequences for your behavior. If someone abuses someone else physically, they hit them, they hurt them, I can instantly, even if it's a child... I can instantly, by choice, offer forgiveness. But I will also report that person to the authorities to protect the person that they were abusing. Okay? And there may be consequences for that, but forgiveness doesn't matter according to the consequences. Okay? We release them. We choose that. And so what do we do? And we'll talk about boundaries. Don't worry. We're, we're not just going to skim over that. Some of you are like, how do we do that? Uh, well, we'll get there. Okay? We're going to take a lot of time to cover some of this. So this is just kind of like the preparation. Okay? We're, we're getting our love on. 
So what should we do if people offend us? Well, here, here are some things from the book that I talked about. One, we overlook it. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. It's one's glory to overlook an offense. Colossians 3, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you need to forgive one another. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes people will say this, but they really, it's, it's not true. Well, I've, I've just let that go. Here's the thing. If you are not, if you are withdrawing from the person that you have overlooked the offense for, you, you have not overlooked it. Okay, it's still causing a problem. And so you can continue to lie to yourself and say, well, I'm just working on it. The Bible never commands you to work on it by yourself. It tells you to go to your brother and be reconciled and to go in a humbling way, okay, because you don't want to go probably and you don't want to admit that maybe you're part of the problem too. You don't want to do that, but when you do that, you're doing it for the sake of reconciliation because you understand that's how the kingdom operates and you don't want to hinder the kingdom at all in your life or in anyone else's life. And so we go to that person. I think sometimes we fool ourselves that we've overlooked something and we haven't. So you gotta be honest with yourself. The second thing we do is, these aren't in any particular order, by the way, so you know, just take them as they come. Overcome evil with good. We talked a lot about this in Sunday school, but it comes from Romans chapter 12, verse two. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So when someone offends me, what do I do? Well, I pray for them. I bless them. I do good to them. Why? Because I'm trying to diffuse the, the power of evil in my life, in their life, and in our city. And so I'm going to do not what I feel like doing, but I'm going to do what the kingdom requires and what it says. Because when I was his enemy, he prayed for me. When I was his enemy, he blessed me. And when I was his enemy, he did good to me. And by it, he made a public spectacle of all of the powers of darkness, and he triumphed over them by the cross. And so if you think you're going to triumph over evil in some other way, you, you don't understand the kingdom. You don't pray, well, God, help them see the error of their ways and get them real good. You pray what you want God to pray for you. What do you imagine Jesus in heaven today praying for you? Because here's my guess. When you came into the kingdom and you put on the hoodie, you have since then done something offensive to him. Your behavior has in some way offended him. And so, what do you want him to do to you? Do it to others. The same measure you used, it'll be measured back to you. That's the kingdom. Now, I'm not claiming this is easy, and I'm not claiming you don't need supernatural power to do it. In fact, you do. And so, one of the things, if you are dealing with forgiveness, pray in the Spirit a whole lot. For that person, because then you'll pray perfectly and not uh, according to your own will. But also pray in English, because you need to hear it. You need to learn what to pray for them and find scriptures, and we'll give you some as we go in the future. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 gives us the next one. You take every thought captive. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Because here's the thing. I've forgiven that person. Why do I keep thinking about it? 
Well, because you have unregenerate emotions and they're not saved yet, okay? And so your emotions will continue to bring that thing up. In fact, in our lives, psychology, we call it triggers. Things trigger a memory in our hearts. And here's the thing, I can't help it. I didn't make that happen. I, it just triggered. I don't know what to do. Okay, here's what you do. You take it captive and you make it obey Christ. You remind that emotion you've already started. You've forgiven. It's done. It's over. And you take that thought captive and you make it obey Christ. And you continue to do it over and over and over again. And you're not defined by your, your trigger. You're not defined by what that person did to you. You're not defined by what's happening. You're defined by who you are in Christ. That's why identity is so, 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 so important if we're ever going to be able to live this out. And by the way, if, if, if somebody has hurt you, stop rehearsing it. Stop sharing it. I mean, we think, well, if I could just talk this out with someone, as if continuing to rehearse the hurt is going to make the hurt go away. Don't deny the hurt. Don't suppress the hurt. But don't think that the more you talk about it, the better you're going to feel. Because you're leading your emotions down a path. If you need to talk to someone, talk to the person who offended you and work on reconciliation. And if you need to bring in a mature believer to help you guys reconcile, do it. Because you want to lead your heart. And you keep making the choice to forgive and eventually your emotions. Eventually. It could take years. It could take lots of years for your emotions to catch up with that. But you keep doing it. What do we do when people offend us? We love. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Why? See, if I tell someone else what so-and-so did to me, then this person is now, in that other person's eyes I just told, they see them the same way I do. And love protects. Love hopes. Love always does these things. Now, if this person who hurt me is also possibly going to hurt someone else or has done a crime that needs to be dealt with, then absolutely I tell the proper authorities to do that. I'm not advocating to not tell authorities. In fact, let me just stop because in our day and age right now, with all of this sexual assault stuff that's happening, maybe I just need to, to put this out there because I was involved in a discussion this week where if you remember the story, and this may make us go over 1130, but forgive me, um, but I, I feel like I have to say it. So if you remember, all of this stuff came out about President Trump and all of the things that he did and uh, all of the uh, offenses that he did against women, the ways that he, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but yeah. So anyway, he was bad, okay? He's very naughty. But if you remember, one of the, the media reporters who was very outspoken against him was Matt Lauer. Now, all of a sudden, it comes out that Matt Lauer is guilty of the exact same thing. Okay? Now, the day Matt Lauer's stuff comes out, this man, pastor, I won't tell you his name because I don't want you to find it. And don't even go Google it. You don't need to get involved and read it. But I got to make this point because you got to understand it. This pastor criticizes Matt Lauer for being a hypocrite. Very soon after that, he receives an email from a young girl and says, do you remember me? Because when he was 20 years old, he was an associate pastor at a church, and he took a young girl home from an event who was 17 years old, and something sexual took place. 
Okay? Now, in the law of the land where he was, 17 is the age of consent. But let me tell you something. When you are a spiritual authority over someone, it is absolutely never under any circumstance okay for you to do anything sexual with someone who is not your spouse ever. In fact, it's an abuse. And the cover-up that took place after that is egregious. It should never have happened. Okay, And to try to shame the 17-year-old girl and make it seem like she was a willing participant, I don't care if the law says that she was uh, the age of consent. The Bible says he's at fault. And a lot of apology and reconciliation should have taken place that didn't take place. So if anyone in any church ever tells you to be quiet about something, go away. Get out of that church and don't be quiet. Tell the proper authorities and let them determine whether a crime has been committed or not. Okay? So, just want to make sure that everyone knows I'm not advocating that we let victims stay victims and we let perpetrators walk. Okay? Not in the Bible. See why that was important to know? Okay. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Renew your perspective on God's love. When someone hurts you, remember how God is so rich in mercy, how he demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember that no matter how egregious that crime has been against you, the offense still pales in comparison to our offense before him. Okay? And here's the thing. Everyone gets what's coming to them. You don't have to dish out justice on your own. You turn things over to authorities, you turn things over to God, and you forgive from the heart. And if you do that, the kingdom will increase in your life, and your reward in heaven will be great. But if you try to hold on to it and settle your own accounts, God waits. And you may actually hinder his justice trying to solve it on your own. So just trust what he says. The last one, deal with it promptly. I didn't want to use the word quickly um, because that sound, to me sounds rash. Don't be rash. Don't be quick. You've got to make sure you're not emotionally charged when you deal with stuff, okay? So if you're emotionally charged, that's not the time to deal with it. Husbands and wives, uh, you know, I teach in premarital counseling a way, uh, a way to actually handle conflict. And it's not fair for me to go to my wife and say, hey, we need to have a talk and for me to dump on her how I'm feeling and not give her any warning about what's coming. I know that happens in ministry quite often. Pastor, may I come and see you sometime? And then someone comes in and just unloads on me all of the terrible things I've done to them. That's really not fair to do to anyone. Okay, if you have an offense, be honest. Hey, there's something in my heart that we need to process and deal with. Because if I wait, you know, my wife teaches first grade, which, by the way, if you think that teachers get paid too much, she'd love for you to come and be a teacher for a day. Um, I, would, I, I would never, unless God forced me, <laughs> teach first grade. It's insane. But, uh, if, if, you know, when she comes out of that room at the end of the day, by the way, if your kids are in first grade, don't take that wrong, okay? Just a room of 30 of them is enough to drive anyone crazy. And so she comes out of that room and I say, oh, yeah, we need to talk about something. You really hurt me when you did this. How's that conversation going to go? One, I put it on her, you did this, not, you know, this is me, my feelings, okay? Put that on her, and I really picked a bad time. Now, wives, 
we are in football playoff season, okay? So let me just tell you, if you walk into the room and say, husband, we need to talk in the middle of a football game, that's not fair. Now, if you really need to talk, then you set a time to talk. And you can't just say later. You say when the game is done. And by the way, if they lose, it might need to get pushed back at least a half hour. Because <laughs> you got to be in an emotionally calm state. And here's the thing. When you start having the conversation, if you feel like your emotions are coming to the surface, be honest, and then walk away and come back later. That's what we teach in marriage counseling all the time. Now, I know that we don't live it. I know that I don't even live it. I love doing premarital counseling because it reminds me of all the things I'm doing wrong. And so then I try to fix them in my own life. And so maybe all of us should go through that. Well, look, we will. And uh, we'll learn how to do that in our lives. But in your anger, do not sin. Did you catch that? In your anger, do not sin. It's not a sin to feel angry. But what we do with it can be or can't be. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, don't let it linger. Deal with it as soon as the emotional charge wears off enough that you can have a rational conversation. And deal with it. Don't keep putting it off. Because you keep putting it off and you're like, well, I've overlooked it and that fester and you're withdrawing from the person and then before you know it, all of a sudden there's this big thing that doesn't just affect you, it affects so many others in the body of Christ, in your families, that's what happens in our lives. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Deal with it promptly. We choose to forgive, we lead our hearts, and we find our identity in Christ alone. And we're going to talk through that and so many other things and keep your love on in the weeks ahead. And I think it's going to be so beneficial for all of our relationships whether in our homes, whether at work, or whether in this body, I think if we put these things into practice regularly, we're gonna find that we have better relationships than we've ever had before. So I wanna invite you to stand with me. And I know that I went through this quickly, and uh, I'm not making light of hurts that you have. Um, one of the things I wanna tell you is that I'm not gonna shame you if you're struggling with the emotion of someone who's hurt you. Uh, I know what that's like, and I mean, I maybe don't know what your situation's like, but I know what it's like to wrestle with that and have to try to lay that down, and uh, no one's going to shame you for that or tell you you're not a good Christian, because your identity is not in how well you're doing, it's in what he's done for you, but we are going to lead you in a path to get away from that, and we may remind you to stop rehearsing it, and we may remind you to take those thoughts captive, but it's not from a high horse it's from across the aisle, if you will. We all know what that's like. And so you might be sitting here today and that's an emotionally charged thing for you. Before you leave today, make forgiveness an act of your will. And in a moment, I'm gonna call our prayer team to the front and we're gonna be here and maybe you just wanna confess to someone else. Not rehearse, you don't have to tell the whole story. You just need to confess it. You don't even have to tell the person. And we'll, give, we'll pray with you that God gives you that great grace to overcome that, to walk through that, and uh, we'll do what we can. And if you're here and you need prayer for anything else, we'd love the chance to pray for you before you leave. And so I'm going to invite the prayer team to the front, and then I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal for you. And if you want prayer, uh, we'll be here for you. And so, Father, thank you for your word. 
It is a lamp for our feet and it's a light for our path. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be your sons and daughters, to put on Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for being our substitute, for taking all of our offenses on yourself and willingly taking them to the cross. God, I pray for each of us in the room that you would help us to know who we are in you, that our identity in the days ahead would be more and more secure in you. And Father, I ask that you'd give us the grace that we need, the power that we need to live this out in our daily lives, to forgive others as you have forgiven us. Holy Spirit, take these truths and write them upon our hearts. Help us in the days ahead, the weeks ahead, the months ahead to live out these truths in all of our relationships. Convict us, Holy Spirit, today of things that need corrected in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts. And help us to lead our hearts through this process of forgiveness. And God, now I pray your blessing over this body today. And I ask that you would bless them. And I ask that you would keep them. I ask that you would cause your face to shine on them. That you would be gracious to them. That you'd lift up your countenance on them. And that you would give them peace. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Men, if you need prayer, our prayer team is here in the front. Otherwise, God bless you as you go. Uh, let this be a place of prayer. So save your visiting for the lobby area. And uh, let those who want to spend some time in prayer do that quietly.